Morning. So this might sound a little bit strange, but as I was preparing for today's homily, my mind was drawn to just the number of people that are so fascinated with the, the popular uh, movies about superheroes. I even went to a website, DC Comics, and they proudly proclaim themselves as being the home to the world's greatest superheroes. And I always thought heaven was the, world, the home of the world's greatest superheroes. So what attracts so many people to this imaginary world of superheroes? And why are they called superheroes? So they have certain powers, right? They have certain gifts. They can fight against evil and defend justice, but does that really make them superheroes? I don't think so. Because, what, because there seems to be something missing. There seems to be a key ingredient that is lacking in all of their superhuman feats. And St. Paul tells us that without love, even apparent victories end up as a defeat. And have you noticed, for all of you who may have watched these superhero movies, that there is no real acknowledgement of God in any of these movies. And there is certainly no attributing any of the powers as coming from God. And while we may hear someone within one of the movies say, oh my God, you know they're not trying to relate the relationship to the creator of the universe. That relationship makes all the difference. In the book, The Christian Cosmic Narrative, it emphasizes that our relationship with Jesus as Lord makes Christianity an epic adventure. It makes it a high romance, one whose hero and primary actor is God, and one that has implications of infinite importance to every person living. So St. Paul in our second reading, he points out what's lacking. He points out not so much about superheroes, but what's lacking really in real life. And he's spelling out in uncertain terms that love must be the substance, that love must be the driving force behind everything that we do. Because without love, even our greatest achievements end up being of little value. Because there is no separation between living out our life in God and living out our life through love. Because if one is missing, then they're both missing. Because God is love. And the love of God is always present, it's always active, and it is always giving. So I recently went to retreat, and the first principle and the foundation of the entire weekend was centered on the truth 
that we were created to give praise and reverence and service to God. And in the old time Baltimore Catechism, and it asks the question, why did God make you? And the response is that God made me to know him and to love him and to serve him in this world and to be happy with him forever in the next. Now, I'm sure that everybody here wants to know and love and serve God. But the truth of the matter is that we often want to love and serve God and others on our own terms. So what does that mean to love on our own terms? It means that we set parameters on how we love and who we love. We limit our expressions of love and we can often resist acts of love from others. And so the result is a world where people fail to attain and realize the purpose for which they were created. So measuring out our love for God is the primary reason why our relationship with God is often so strained. Our measuring out our love for others, especially within marriage, is the primary reason why so many relationships are broken. And I would even say why so many marriages end in divorce. When a relationship doesn't meet our unrealistic expectation of fulfillment, we often think that it must be the relationship that is at fault, rather than perhaps we haven't really given authentic love a real chance. Because you see, a love that is calculated and a love that is measured is not, not only sad, not satisfying, but it imprisons our heart and it relegates us to live in a very small world. So it may surprise you to hear that marriage is not an end in itself. And Jesus made this clear when he was asked the question about a hypothetical question about a woman who was subsequently married to seven brothers. And Jesus was asked, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? And Jesus responded that in this age, men and women marry. But for those who attain to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage. And so it's clear that marriage is not an end in itself. So when we try to make marriage something that it cannot be, we are bound to be disillusioned and unsatisfied. But I wanna make something really clear, that Jesus elevates marriage to the highest degree. Not only at the wedding at Cana when he did his first miracle, but scripture beautifully compares the love of a husband and wife to Jesus' own love for his mystical body, the church. And nowhere else in scripture 
Is love so beautifully and intimately described as when Jesus quotes Genesis in proclaiming that the love between spouses is the only kind of love that can transform two people into one love. The sacrificial love of Jesus is a redemptive love. And the love between spouses has to be the same. So while marriage is not an end in itself, it is definitely a beautiful and a powerful means to an end. In fact, it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given to man and woman as husband and wife. But you see, this gift has eternal responsibilities because it is for spouses to help each other for spouses to help each other through selfless, sacrificial love in order to achieve the perfect end, which is the attainment of perfect love in heaven. So we heard how St. Paul provides a beautiful litany of what love is and what love isn't. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous or pompous. It's not inflated or rude. It doesn't seek its own interest. It's not um, quick-tempered, and it doesn't brood over injuries, meaning, and this is so important, it doesn't keep score of wrongs. But living this sort of selfless love out in our daily lives, it's not easy. Ask any married couple. My wife Liz and I have been married for over 40 years, and I think we both would say it's not easy. You know, those that enter into religious life, they have to go through a novitiate where their vocation is constantly being tested. And over time, some of them discover just how difficult the path that leads to holiness is and some of them will decide to leave before they make their final vows. Well, those who marry, even though they might have good preparation, will also have their vocation constantly tested. And they don't discover just how difficult their own path to holiness is until after they exchange their vows. And spouses soon discover the effects and the reality of the fall. How the beautiful union that was established between Adam and Eve was so wounded. But there is great news. And the great news is that God so cherishes the love between spouses that their union is elevated and granted the graces of a sacrament and in so doing gives that marital love the potential and the power to resurrect the remnant of that earthly paradise. That supernatural life that was installed and planted at baptism enables spouses to in effect recapture the beauty that marriage had before the fall. So the sacrament of marriage is, it's a sacred vocation, but it's also meant to be a holy apostolate 
an evangelistic activity of love where spouses demonstrate sacrificial self-giving for the good of the other, for building up the domestic church, and for bearing witness to Christ's own love for the church. In the words of St. John Paul II, and I quote, Christian marriage, like the other sacraments, whose purpose is to sanctify people, to build up the body of Christ, and finally to give worship to God, is itself a liturgical action, glorifying God in Jesus Christ and in the church. So this lofty, and this sacred mission. It wasn't something assigned to a bunch of superheroes, but it is a mission that is given to ordinary men and ordinary women with ordinary families. And we know that as the family goes, so goes the nation and so goes the world. And that, my friends, is exactly why we are going to celebrate marriage. <laughs>